Welcome to There's an Elephant in Your Office. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And together, we're advancing the conversation about mental health in the workplace. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, There's an Elephant in Your Office. The podcast is based off our book by the same name and explores mental health conditions in the workplace. We use a herd of elephants as a metaphor for employees experiencing a mental illness. That's right. Now, most of the time when we do our workshops and trainings, we begin by asking the group why we should talk about mental health in the workplace. And in our opinion, it's because mental illness is real and it exists in your workplace, in all workplaces. Anyone can experience or live with poor mental health. Mental illness does not discriminate based on your age, your religion, your culture, your nationality, your education, your gender identity, uh, members of your own family. It could be anyone. I'm holding my hand up. (laughs) (laughs) So in honor and recognition of Pride Month, Black Lives Matter, social justice, and minority mental health, we want to devote this podcast to highlighting the unique struggles faced by people who identify with multiple marginalized identities and talk about ways that we can all be better allies. Yeah, and this year, 2020, has been overwhelming to say the least, Uh, but now is absolutely not the time to stay in your comfort zone. It's time to learn about others and how easy it is to be inclusive. We are going to do our very best to walk you through it and give you some simple tools so you feel prepared perhaps even empowered to have some hard conversations about race, gender, mental health, and privilege. And we have to just stop making excuses that our friends and family don't know better or, you know, they're old and that's just the way they are, so they can't possibly be held accountable. If you've been waiting for the right moment, here it is. It is now. There's never been a better time to dig into how to be an ally. And for the record, we fully acknowledge that Ashley and I are two white ladies with privilege, and we are simply trying to start the conversation and provide resources and point you to people of color and other very worthy organizations doing the work with much more in-depth knowledge than we will ever have. Yes, and yes. (laughs) Yes, Yes. So we acknowledge that and we are just simply trying to use our platform to to spread some knowledge about not only the current social events, but again, how it ties into mental health and the mental health disparities um, that different groups. Because um, they're all at work. You'll meet every kind of person at some workplace. So it is totally relevant. But why don't we get started? Yeah. So the foundation of a psychologically safe workplace is inclusion, safety, and support that is communicated to and experienced by all employees. You can't have a happy, healthy work environment if members of your team are scared to interact with others, if they feel threatened, or worse, completely isolated and ignored. And I am a big believer in the power of communication. I also assume that most people have good intentions about supporting others, but they might be uneducated, self-conscious, or nervous to participate, let alone start a difficult conversation with people who might believe, look, feel, or even love differently. 
So to help you engage in meaningful conversation, we're going to give you some facts and maybe teach you some new vocabulary words and provide a ton of resources in our conversation and in the show notes. Yes, we're going to link everything we talk about in the show notes. So don't worry about that. We'll put it where it's easy for you to access. So let's just start off. Think about it. People are not one thing and one thing only. You can be a daughter, sister, mother, and friend all at the same time. You can also be gay, black, and live with severe depression all at the same time. And each time a person identifies with a category that isn't white, male, heterosexual, with no mental illness, they become part of a marginalized community. And the risk of experiencing mental illness increases with every marginalized identity that you have. For example, uh, Mental Health America tells us that sexual minority populations, read not heterosexual, are more than twice as likely as their non-LGBTQ counterparts to have a mental health condition. Wow. It's a lot. And in real numbers, that's 3.9 million people in the United States who belong to the category of LGBTQ, and having a mental illness. So beyond uh, kind of the gender and sexuality-based categories, race is another one that intersects with mental health and mental illness. So 6.8 million people in the U.S. are both African-American and have a mental illness. That's 17% of the population. When we look at Hispanic Americans or Latinx, that's 15% of their population, uh, 8.9 million people. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of people. But what's really interesting is people who identify as being two or more races are more likely to report mental illness than any other race or ethnic group. And so the instances of poor mental health continue to grow. Um, and again, these people, for the most part, are going to be able to be in the workforce. And, you know, another interesting component is the current situation of, you know, coronavirus and racial unrest. And uh, as reported in the Washington Post, the coronavirus and racial unrest have had a disproportionate emotional and mental toll on Black and Asian Americans. And the rate of Black Americans showing clinical significant signs of anxiety or depressive disorders jumped from 36% to 41% in the week after the video of George Floyd's death became public. So that's about 1.4 million additional people. In one not, week. In one week, which is not surprising. I mean, I, I can't imagine because I'm not in that situation, but yeah, that those are big numbers. And also, according to CDC data, Asian Americans experienced the largest one-week change in anxiety and depression symptoms of any racial or ethnic group, moving from a 3% rate of depression in 2019 to a 22% in May 2020. So why the sevenfold jump? Well, that would be about the time of the emergence of the coronavirus in it's Wuhan, China. It's the Rona. The Rona strikes again. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that Asian Americans have experienced a huge increase in racism during that time because of 
you know, ignorance about how those things move through the world. That's right. And I want to point out that these two groups also represent a disproportionately large number of people who work on the front lines. They have groceries and shops and delivery jobs. And so more of these people who belong to multiple marginalized communities are showing up at your work and they're suffering and they really need you to step up and have some hard conversations. That's exactly right, because it's not their job to keep talking about this and talking about it. Um, Being an ally means that you do the heavy lifting required to understand your privilege and the system that may benefit you while holding others back. And that is not comfortable. That is not something people may jump to, uh, you know, wanting to understand, but it's super important. And there's an article that we'll link by Angry Black Woman, and she does some do's and don'ts of being an ally. And one of my favorite ones that she says is don't play the oppression Olympics. If you're in the middle of a conversation about racism, it's not the time to talk about how hard it is to be a white woman dealing with sexism. It's not a contest. There are no winners. But that is certainly not your moment to bring up something else. Yeah, it's about them. Stop making it about you. We do that in mental health uh, first aid training all the time. When someone Mm -hmm. is sharing with you, your job is to listen, not make it about you. Um, So having kind of said that, I want to transition into a little bit of a vocabulary lesson. Because I know I've heard a lot of people in the workforce say, oh, I don't understand all the acronyms and the new terms. And I'm scared that I'm going to say the wrong thing and offend somebody and then get sent to HR for discrimination and fired. And so I just don't say anything and I avoid that person. It's easier. Yeah, people do say that to me. Even when they're talking to me, they're like, I don't want to say the wrong thing to you. (laughs) I'm not the vocabulary police. And I think a lot of it is like little kids, they literally don't have the words. They do not have the words Mm -hmm. to express what they want to say. And it's really hard to have a conversation with someone if you don't speak the same language. Mm -hmm. So in some of our research, I found the most amazing glossary. And it's from the University of California, Davis, LGBTQIA Resource Center. They have posted this glossary on the internet. You can look at it. Again, we'll link it. It's, I mean, it's really quite impressive. Yeah, there were honestly a lot of words in there that I had never heard of or that I had heard the acronym, but I wasn't really sure specifically what all the letters meant. So I definitely learned some new things too. Yeah, and there are way too many to go over in this podcast. So I'm going to hit the highlights and give you a few of the most relevant terms to kind of things happening right now. So the first word we've already used, It's ally. And an ally is someone who supports a disenfranchised or underrepresented group of people. Now, a long time ago, this word was used primarily for military purposes as a way to classify and talk about who your friends were during a war. But now it has a more social meaning. And it's the action of working to end oppression through supporting, advocating with and for a group that is not your own group. And it could be any of the marginalized groups we've already discussed, just not the one you identify with first. Um, Mm -hmm. The next word, which is technically uh, an abbreviation or an acronym, LGBT. And this is where I hear the most people kind of trip up because there's a lot of letters 
and you're not really sure how many you have to include and maybe what they all mean. <laughs> well, and then there's always new or not always additional but new letters. Yeah. And you, I don't, do you, where do you stop with the letters? Yeah. Yeah. So the wonderful glossary says LGBT is an umbrella term used to refer to the community as a whole. And that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. That's the LGBT. So some people, including this UC Davis Center, say LGP, whew, letters, LGBTQIA to intentionally include and raise awareness of queer, intersex, and asexual communities. Having said all that, if you keep it short at LGBT, that's not bad and it's not wrong. You're using the umbrella term. You can stop there and be okay. If you well, good. if you're really woke, you can use all the letters once you read the definitions and you understand them better. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Uh, so the T in LGBT stands for transgender. It's another umbrella term, and uh, more recently, people are abbreviating abbreviating it to just trans. So identifying as transgender or trans means that the internal knowledge of gender is different from the expectations based on the sex you were assigned at birth. So it could be someone who identifies as a woman who was assigned male at birth or vice versa. It also can describe someone who identifies as non-binary, gender fluid, no gender, some other gender. So again, Transgender and trans is that umbrella term you can use to identify people in a community whose sex at birth may not represent how they're living their life right now. Yeah, and I think this word and group is um, not understood, and especially in the workplace. You know, I have experienced employees going through a gender transition, and thankfully, you know, it's been a very smooth transition. We haven't had any you know, concerns from other people has been very easy. Um, That's a and miracle I hope it in itself. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think hopefully it does. And with the, the recent federal protections that just went in to effect from the Supreme Court, uh, protecting gay and transgendered humans from, you know, getting their job taken away simply because of that, you know, you may see more people coming out in one way or another now that their jobs are protected. Yeah. And so again, you can feel safe to say the word trans and know that it's an umbrella term that represents a lot of different kinds of people. And if that's where you start, start there. Uh, One word that I've heard and maybe read more than heard is cisgender and this word cisgender cisgender see i don't even know Mm -hmm. because it's Mm c-i-s-g-e-n-d-e-r and it's a gender identity that matches your assigned sex at birth so it's basically i was born female i identify as female sometimes people use the word cisgender when Uh, They're introducing themselves, especially if it's an inclusive space or some kind of workshop specifically focused on these topics. I've seen it come up um, when people are starting to use their pronouns, regardless of what they are. Um, So some, you might see that word more 
going forward. So it's good to know what it means. Yeah. I'm just happy to know how to pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) Cisgendered. Cisgender. All right. Uh, The next thing I want to touch on are two words, homosexual and transvestite. These are relics of past generations, and they carry a lot of shame and anger and emotional baggage when they're used to describe someone. So in short, use a different word. The glossary has many, many words you can choose from that are more current and more appropriate to use right now. So um, try and leave homosexual and transvestite behind in favor of, you know, your LGBT trans type language. Um, Another word Mm -hmm. that you may see more in the last, I don't know, year or so, Latinx. Yeah, I have started seeing that more. Yeah, L-A-T-I-N-X. And I have a little note pronounced Latinx. It's a non-gender specific way to refer to people of Latin American descent. And so it kind of moves away from Latino or Latina and doesn't assume a gender. And so it includes your um, Latino non-binary people. Right. Because in the Spanish language, the O's are associated with masculine and the A's are associated with feminine. So if you're non-binary, that can be very off-putting. Yes. And so now they have solved it by adding an X. And it sounds cool. Yeah. Latinx. <laughs> I like it. Um, another acronym that I've seen more in the last, I don't know, two weeks than I'm not even sure if it existed years ago, but it's B-I-P-O-C. And I don't know if people actually say BIPOC. They do. Uh, BIPOC. It stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. And there's actually a BIPOC project. And their website says they use the term to highlight the unique relationship to whiteness that Indigenous and Black African American people have. And it shapes the experience of in relationship to white supremacy um, with all people of color within a United States context. So BIPOC is a really heavy word and it, it carries a lot of weight with it, but at least now you have a definition and you know what the letters stand for. So again, we're just trying to get you started. Yeah. And I think it's um, simply a more inclusive term than just saying people of color. Um, it just ties it to that larger context. So you're not you know, no one's going to be offended if you say people of color, but if you want to be, you know, very inclusive, BIPOC is an easy one to say. Sorry. I'm learning so much just in the like five minutes we've been on here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know being in Portland, I do, I have to say, like, I have learned a lot uh, since moving out here from Kentucky. It's just the, the lingo kind of hits here first and it's more representation here especially in the workplace. Um, so it's been interesting. I've, I certainly learned a lot along the way. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, this last word we've already used, and it is also in the news a whole lot right now, and that word is privilege. So specific ah. to race and gender and all that's happening in the world right now, privilege is a set of unearned benefits given to people who fit a specific social group. So it's not, privilege is not a new thing and it has changed over the decades and the centuries according to what society looks like. But the roots um, come from white people's feelings of superiority over black people. And that's at the base of the privilege 
concept as you're hearing it right now as it relates to um, protests and rallies and things like that. Right. And, you know, we have heard so much about privilege. It is nice to have a definition of it. And I know a lot of white people in particular have a hard time with that word, especially if their life is not particularly easy. That's right. I think, well, I don't have privilege. My life is hard. And so we're, nobody is saying that your life is easy because you have privilege. I think that is such an important thing to know. Privilege does not equal easy. It just means easier mm-hmm. than someone in a different category than you might have it. Right. Because poverty is poverty. But within poverty, there are those multiple marginalized communities. It's just a layered effect, no matter what group of people you're looking at. Exactly. So I think, you know, this is a a good segue into some resources to kind of move the, the podcast here into more things you can research and dive into. And I'm sure your news feeds and social media accounts have been filled with books to read and shows to watch to better educate yourself on race and discrimination. There are amazing resources out there, and I will add more of those to our show links as we we talked about. But first, you need to learn about yourself and where you are so you can improve upon it. That's right. And there is a person, well... I don't know if it's a personality test, but it's an online quiz you can take um, called Project Implicit. And it is a self-assessment tool and the product of a team of scientists who research, uh, produce new ways of understanding attitudes, stereotypes, and other hidden biases that influence perception, judgment, and action. And to be clear, we all harbor biases in our subconscious. And that causes us to have feelings and attitudes about other people based on characteristics such as race, ethnicity, age, and appearance. So these associations, again, everyone has. They, you develop them over the course of your lifetime, beginning at a very early age through exposure to direct and indirect messages. In addition to your early life experiences, then on to media, news programming, etc. And we all have them. And it's important to know what yours are because sometimes they are different than what you would assume they are. So if you want to uncover your hidden biases about race, gender, age, disability, and even more, um, you can get online and take some tests. I did take some of them. I went to Project Implicit and I took a couple of tests and um, I ended up being very neutral which honestly, based on the work in mental health and the research that I've done, I think I kind of cheated a little bit because I have more knowledge than I would have had five years ago. So I think if I would have taken this in my younger days, <laughs> it might've been a little bit different, but who doesn't love to get online and take a quiz and find out more about yourself. And this one is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, chances are you're not going out with your friends and partying it up right now anyway. So, you know, do some <laughs> self-discovery and, you're already again, online. These, just look it up. <laughs> and again, I think this was created by Harvard. And, you know, these implicit biases help to survive as a species. So there is a purpose for them that we don't have to literally think through every single thing before making a decision. Um, but in current society, you know, you may have some that actually impact you more than you realize that you do want to change. If you prefer a challenge to a quiz, you can try the 21-day racial equity challenge. For 21 days, 
do one action to further your understanding of power, privilege, supremacy, oppression, and equity. You can participate by yourself, or you can include friends, coworkers, and family members. Um, I have seen this also floating around on LinkedIn and people challenging their uh, connections and colleagues to do this uh, as well. So that's another option uh, to hold yourself accountable. Yeah, because learning more doesn't hurt you. It just helps you, you know, figure out where you fit in the world and where other people fit. And I think it's really awesome. Yeah. And I mean, just take, for example, this is Pride Month. That doesn't mean that we don't support our LGBTQIA friends year round. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement is going on. That doesn't mean that it ends when you stop seeing, you know, as much in your newsfeed. You know, this is a a marathon, not a sprint. And so take a challenge, take a quiz and then check back in. I love that it is. This is a marathon. So we need to slow and steady wins the race, people. Right. Like don't burn yourself out and get so absorbed that you, you know, you do impact your own mental health and your ability to stay engaged. Yeah. Sidebar. Um, I think that's important. I've had to stop reading news on a daily basis because mentally I can't handle it. I'm just, I'm not strong enough to absorb all of the emotion and then deal with my own self. So you can want social justice and disconnect from the news for a week and it's okay. Yeah, that's so important because, you know, we all care, or I hope we all care. But if you burn yourself out, then you're not helping in the long term. And so while it's popular, you know, jump on the bandwagon, burn yourself out. And then a month from now, you know, we're going to slide back. So do what you need to do for self-care, check in, check out, you know, do something else and then come back to it um, is certainly important. And then Finally, for those invisible elephants out there, represent, or, <laughs> or people who just love checklists. I know we've talked about the, che- the power of checklists yes. before, uh, but Dr. John Rabels, Ra- I'm sorry if I just didn't say that right, uh, but there's a checklist for allies against racism. And so he devised this checklist in the early 1990s out of the need to articulate specific behaviors that, um, led to view certain individuals as allies in the struggle against racism. And so you can read through the checklist to kind of see what types of things they have on there. And then maybe you want to do some or all of them or make your own sub checklist off his checklist or you just check them off. That's a lot of checks. It's a lot of checks. (laughs) Well, while we could go on with marathons and checklists, I think we better stop here before people's brains explode with all this new information. Um, My final thought on being an ally to marginalized communities is to keep trying. California State University, Long Beach, they have a document called Being an Ally, and I think they said it best. Making mistakes is part of the learning process of practicing allyship. Acknowledge and apologize for mistakes. Learn from them, but do not retreat. Do not stop trying. You're going to mess it up. Go, oh, crap. Sorry. My bad. Fix it and move on. Yeah, people will appreciate the trying and the acknowledgement that maybe you mess up and you're going to keep trying over not trying. That's right. Keep showing up. Yeah. And I would say that now is the time to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
And in human resources, we've been getting uncomfortable and having difficult conversations on the daily forever. It's what we do and you can do it too. Um, we're, I, I just want to work to build inclusive, safe, and supportive environments by applying the knowledge and resources we've shared and then all of the good work being done by BIPOC folks and nonprofits focused on this space. All, I mean, there are just so many. We'll list some, but you know, do the research. And my last note is don't expect people of color to do this work for you and you show up and say, okay, I'm ready, teach me. It's not their job to do the heavy lifting here. So you've already started by listening to this podcast and now, you know, just click a link, any link in our show notes and start there. That's right. So to close out today, I just want to remind you that we're addressing the elephant in the office in every episode of these podcasts to help not just the one in five U.S. adults experiencing a mental illness, but the five in five who have mental health. We appreciate you listening. Please like, star, follow, and share. It really helps an independent podcast like ours make it out into the world so we can help make it better for everybody. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.